Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tidewad Tech, episode 93, If You Build It, part one. Recorded April 2nd, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. This week, Sean and I are going to begin what will most likely be a multi-part series, uh, started uh, by a listener uh, question in the, the chat in the forums, and we'll uh, uh, talk a little bit more about that as we go on. That's that's all the intro I'm going to give you for now. So uh, I'll just go ahead and welcome my co-host, Mr. Sean Keibel. Hey, Sean, what's up? Hey, not much. It's good to be here. I am on fire today. I, I uh, uh, took one of my... Uh, I guess a comp day, no scheduled day off. You know, uh, we we work these uh, schedules where they have like uh, eight built-in like scheduled days off that you're supposed to take. And my employer has been hounding me to schedule those. They want us to take them all by uh, by July. And uh, so I'm, you know, so tough working in education. You know, <laughs> having to sit there and just okay, well, I guess I'll just take this day off. And uh, today was one of those days. So I'm well rested. Uh, I mowed the lawn today. That was about all the actual physical labor I did. Uh, but uh, more importantly, let's let's stop talking about me because <laughs> I really want to talk about you. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, one, how apropos this is, that Mark was born on April Fool's Day. I was indeed. <laughs> And uh, so you turned the big 4-0 yesterday, is that right? Yes, yes. Sean called me up today and said, how does it feel to be 40? And, and I said, one day older than it felt to be 39. Uh, there's pretty much no difference. Uh, it's not a black balloon event, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, uh, that, that it was, in fact, my birthday. Uh, I'm pretty sure my wife and kids were completely unaware of it until I said something about it Friday afternoon. Because there was that really that wide-eyed uh, moment where they all sort of looked at each other, and then they they like, had uh oh to, yeah. we better come up with yeah. something. <laughs> and then Saturday they rushed out and bought uh, some hasty uh, presents and and a, a quickly signed card. But you know it, I've never made a big deal out of my birthday. Uh, it's just uh, it, that's not something my family uh, does a big thing of, and I think they just sort of just forgot. And and I don't I don't blame anybody about that. But my my um, my middle daughter asked me if she could have a sleepover on uh, Saturday night into Sunday, and I kind of you know thought for a minute. I said, "I'm going to have to let you know." And uh, and my wife said, "Well, what's the problem?" I said, "Well, it's uh, it's my birthday Sunday, and and we'll be doing church stuff, and we won't really have a chance to do anything. I thought we'd go out Saturday night, and that was when it was the big, uh oh, we 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 didn't plan on this." Right, right. Wow. Yeah, you know, dad dad gets that treatment, right? Right. I mean, Mother's Day, there's this huge to-do and, you know, cooker, uh, breakfast in bed and cards and flowers and, and all of that. And, uh, uh, or mom's birthday is, is a big to-do. But for dad, it's just kind of like, uh, yeah, happy Father's Day, dad, or yeah. happy birthday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, we die first. <laughs> we should we should get uh, better treatment uh no that's that's just part of being a dad you just kind of element 88 in the chat room says it gets worse mark at least you got a card <laughs> <laughs> no they uh yeah i know i'm i don't make a big deal and of course my wife every year asks me what do you want you know for my birthday for christmas and, and i'm the kind of guy who if i want something i go get it 
you know, and right. so uh, I'm impossible to buy for. Uh, and well, and that's especially, uh, I think it goes more and more like that the longer you're married too, right? I mean, you just, you get the things you want and then when it comes time for when you're supposed to get a present, you know, you get the ugly tie. Right. And the things that interest me, she has no understanding of, you know, tech t tools and gadgets and things like that. You know, that would be like me buying somebody uh, something related to NASCAR. I have no knowledge of that whatsoever. So, you know. Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, uh, in addition to that, there's another uh, important bit of significance. Yes. Uh, with a that milestone day, right? that I consider uh, far more important is April 1st, 2010 was the official release date of our first episode of the Tightwad Tech. We are two years old today, yesterday, technically. Actually older yeah. than that because we... That was episode one. We had an episode zero and an episode 0.5. So we'd actually, we had our third episode before our official release date. But officially, it was Janu uh, April 1st, 2010. So, uh, uh, yeah, those episodes weren't good enough to be considered uh, real episodes <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, those, those who are watching on the live stream will notice that uh, I'm in the new pod pod that I mentioned last week. And I have, uh, uh, some of the highest quality, state-of-the-art, uh, industry-standard soundproofing available, uh, i.e. the cheapest mattress, mattress pads they had at Walmart stapled to my wall. So if you're wondering what that weird <laughs> pattern is behind me, that's what it is. Hey, now come on. I mean, this is the Taiwan Tech. I mean, that's the way it's supposed to be done, right? Yes. And, and it works. It works really well. Yeah. So when we're making millions of dollars, we're still going to be stapling mattress pads to the wall. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> It was funny. I I went to three different WalMarts to get them because that's you know a, a bed pad is probably one of those things that they sell once in a while, and right. I, I needed uh, like fourteen of them to cover all of this area, and um, so I, I bought all the ones that we had in town, and then I went to another town and bought all the ones they had there. So I I can just see the inventory manager uh, that covers this region looking at his numbers going this way, going, "Holy crap! What's the deal with bed pads all of a sudden?" It just yeah know. yeah yeah i'm sure they're at uh, corporate walmart headquarters going somebody's making a run on bed pads in yeah. <laughs> greenville texas yeah, so we just sold 15 of them quick go order 30 and then they'll sit there for you know 15 years yeah somebody's gonna lose his job over that yeah yeah and the the padded jokes the padded room jokes have already begun i now have my own white padded room yes 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 okay anyway, all right moving on to that yeah uh, so Go ahead. So shall we do a show? Um, you know, why not? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let me uh, let me uh, lead off with this. Us. Yeah. So, uh, again, uh, credit goes to uh, one of our listeners, David Ashby, who emailed me uh, with several show topic ideas. And uh, this one, uh, this was one of them. And uh, I, I at first couldn't believe that we hadn't done this yet. Um, I, I guess we focus more, you know, we focus on different things and never really thought about doing this from the ground up. So uh, this is going to be a series because uh, as Mark and I talked about it, we realized that this is much too big a topic to be covered effectively in one show. 
Uh, so uh, we'll do however many it takes. We're going to basically uh, talk about uh, essentially setting up the scenario uh, which this listener apparently has been uh, presented with. Uh, you take over, uh, you know, a small operation, uh, school district or otherwise, and uh, there's a, a tight budget. There's an, you know, some sort of existing setup. Uh, but how do you just drop in there and uh, basically go tightwad tech with it? Uh, so uh, the way that we'll do this, uh, because uh, it really got me thinking, and I could very well be the person that's in this position as well, is I'll basically be interviewing you, Mark. So I'm going to be asking the questions, uh, for the most part at least, and uh, uh, we really uh, want to uh, recommend or highly recommend uh, chat room participation. So uh, if you're listening to this and you weren't in the chat room for this first episode, please join us for the other ones uh, because uh, there's certainly things that are probably going to come up that we just haven't thought of as we did our show preparation. Uh, so, uh, you know, all kinds of different scenarios that you may be in out there. So we want to hear from you. So uh, join us uh, particularly for these. We're going to do this one this week and we will uh, do number two, of, uh, I think three weeks from now, I think we, we said, Mark. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, we're going to intersperse them in there. We have some guests coming up the next couple of weeks. So uh, uh, the next uh, part in the series will be three weeks from now. And like almost anything uh, with our show, our focus will be education because that is the, the primary tenet of what we do here. But the principles should carry on to just about anything. I mean, the, the idea of having a tight budget, even in the corporate world, it's finally uh, filtering down. Uh, corporate, corporate guys have always enjoyed almost limited unlimited budgets when they as long as they can justify return on investment they can get whatever they want but you know and as as uh, the economy is in a, a multi-year downswing uh, that's that's changing so these techniques and ideas hopefully will carry on to just about any uh, walk of life absolutely yeah yeah definitely and i think uh, especially as we go through uh, this first episode uh, most of what we're we're covering here, uh, you know, you can just substitute superintendent for CEO or, uh, uh, you know, principals for, uh, you know, VPs and things like that. Uh, but it, it definitely uh, can apply across the board. So, okay, let's set let's set it up. All right, you have been handed the keys to the castle. Um, uh, you know kind of presumably a, a smaller district, a larger district uh, might be a little bit different, but uh, because it's going to be a little less flexible, quite honestly. But so you, you, you've got this, uh, this, this new operation or this operation that's been, you've been handed the keys to the castle. So now what do you do? Yeah. As uh, the listener, David, who, who uh, submitted this asked, uh, his situation is he's he's coming into a school ha that has had a flush budget for years, and things are done um, the the inefficient and expensive way, and he wants to turn that around. So that's going to be the the uh, the way we go. And, and the first thing that that I would always say, and and this goes for for any new job, is is watch, listen, and learn. Don't do anything for you know a couple of months. Sit and watch. It's a it's one of those things, I, uh, an analogy I come up with, and I've seen Sean do this a thousand times, is don't salt your food before you taste it. You know, you, you, <laughs> you want to know what the situation is. And uh, Sean, Sean, I'm picking on Sean because as soon as something comes to the table, he says, pass the salt. And I'm like, well, you haven't tasted it. You don't know. Trust me, I know it's not salty enough. 
Yeah, I'm going to need it for something. Yeah. Uh, So don't salt your food before you taste it when you start a new job. You know, uh, uh, David uh, asked the question uh, about how he should change things. Well, maybe there are some things that don't need to be changed. Maybe there are things that are that can be changed later. So the you know, just like in the the medical profession, the first thing you do is triage. You know, you 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 take stock and you look around. So that's the first thing you do in any job. Uh, Find out what the um, official organization chart is. And then find out what the real power structure is, because they almost never uh, uh, coincide. Usually whoever's in charge on paper is not whoever's really pulling the strings. And that can take a while to, to figure that out. Uh, and even in places where, you know, maybe you were hired to make a change. And, you know, uh, that happens a lot. Somebody will, the, the boss will say that, you know, our last guy left us a mess and we need you, need you to straighten it out. Even then, don't feel pressured to start making sweeping changes right away. Watch, look, listen, and learn. That's my first step. Right, and that kind of goes to uh, my my next bullet point, which is identify the key players. And, uh, you know, so obviously we're talking superintendents, principals, uh, integration specialists, other teaching staff. Um, uh, You know, one thing that I've seen often is that uh, sometimes you know, a person doesn't necessarily have to be high up on the org chart to affect what you're doing. You know, there's, uh, it seems like you've always got those districts that have those uh, handful of basically the loudest teachers. Right. The squeaky wheel. Um, and you got to find out who the squeaky wheels are and you got to grease them once in a while. That's for sure. But I, I think it's more important to find um, the quiet sufferers because those are the people who can really tell you what's going on. Right, right. So, I mean, in your experience, uh, you know, where does, uh, like you said, I guess it's not always the same person, but I mean, where does that usually lie? Because I I always think the superintendent, but, you know, I like to think that a good leader is kind of leadership comes from the top down, uh, but that's not always the case, right? The superintendent is never in charge. The principal is never in charge. It's just the way things go. Um. If you're lucky, it's their secretary who's in charge. But more likely, it's a principal down on the West Hall uh, who everybody looks up to for for whatever reason, you know. And and they're the ones who are actually running the ship. Um, or it's you know it's a secretary or it's an aide. Uh, somewhere along the line, somebody stepped up and established themselves as the leader, for good or for bad. I've been in schools, you know, and and in the school where I work, I've, I've seen certainly both of those that there was you know, a really strong leader who was very negative and very uh, um, harmful to the morale, but because it was a strong leader, people followed him. Um, and, and that's going to happen. So that I think it's critical. You've got to find those people and um, figure out how you can work with and for them. So you're not necessarily, I mean, sometimes, and, and this is my, just my personality, uh, you know, I want to go in there with a hammer and, and, you know, the nail that sticks up gets hammered down and say, all right, you, you got a problem. Let's deal with that right now. That, that I'm going to tell you is not necessarily always the most effective way to do things, but that's my natural inclination. Sometimes you just need to, to listen. Oftentimes the people who do the most complaining do so because they don't think anybody's ever listened to them. So, right. you know, so I say assess the situation, find out, um, you know, who the key players are, who the real players are. You know, like I said, there's the org chart. The superintendent is clearly at the top, but often the superintendent is so busy doing all the crap that the state and the the federal government make him do 
uh, or her that that he's totally ineffective in terms of actually knowing what's going on. And and honestly, that's okay. I mean, that's that's like the CEO not knowing what's going on in the sales department. That's not the CEO's job. That's the manager of the sales department job. So, you know, in schools, that gets handled down to the principals and the, and the assistant principals. So don't, the principal will definitely, uh, the superintendent will de- definitely set the vision, but don't expect him to actually know what's going on. Right, right. Okay, so let's uh, let's move along. Uh, so you you kind of, you get in and the first thing you do, so I, I mean, well, let me, okay, I'm going to go back to that again a, a little bit. Uh, so what kind of time frame are we talking about that for that? Or, or is that just kind of uh, as you just go along? I mean, do you just sit quietly for the first week and don't really do much of anything and just kind of, like you said, look and listen, watch and listen? Yeah, I, for, for the first week, people shouldn't even know you were hired. Uh, for the first month, it should be meeting and getting to know people. And, and maybe you don't actually do anything for the first six months. It just depends on the situation, uh, depending right. on how big the environment is and how, um, how, uh, uh, stringent, uh, rigid the structure is and how messed up things are. So yeah, you, you, uh, teachology in the chat room says around three months. And I agree with that. Around three months is when you should start actually making a move to plan. You, you don't actually do anything. That's when you're planning. That's when you have gathered enough information. So it, it okay. may seem like, uh, you know, the lazy sort of thing to do, but it's much better to, to uh, move ahead with a plan than move ahead and then plan. You know, ready, ready, fire, aim doesn't always work. Well, and that, I mean, that makes sense. And I, I could see myself kind of getting myself into trouble uh, that way, coming in, kind of hard charging. Right. All right, I'm going to affect all this change. But if you don't really understand the environment that you're in and all of the people that you're dealing with, uh, you're likely, you're more likely to make massive mistakes than you are to do any good. Right. And um, so some of the, the things that, that you got to look for up front is what is the overall uh, philosophy of the school? And again, there's two sides to that. What do the leaders say it is and what is it really? And, and sometimes it's, that's hard to determine and hopefully they're ideal. They're, they're, they're in line, but most of the time it's not. The, the leaders have one vision and what actually happens is another. And then you got to find out the budget. Is there a budget? You know, as I mentioned on this school, on, on this show recently, a lot of schools don't have a tech budget. They don't have a tech line item. The principal uh, buys what they think they need out of instructional funds. And, and so you've got to figure out what that is. And, and, and I think it's critical that there is some sort of centralized purchasing uh, decision-making process. So that would be one of the first things that I would start setting up, start, get with the bean counters and, and, and start working out how that's going to work. So do you, uh, coming in new, do you lobby to get your own budget? For me If you don't have one? Yes. That would be, that would be like one of the first things I would try to establish. I would want a specific technology line item that I'm in charge of. Um, okay. And, and, you know, if there's, if there needs to be oversight and, you know, got to have people sign your purchase orders or whatever, you, you accept whatever conditions you have. But I would say that that is critical just in terms of being able to get things done later on the line, down the line. Now, where I work now, it took me four years to get that. But uh, I right. lobbied for it for four years before it finally happened. Now, uh, assuming, okay, so you, you're coming in, you, 
you're you're doing your you're kind of watching things. Uh, I, I assume at some point you want to set up some meetings with some people, right? And and talk about these right. things, talk about philosophy, budget, staffing. I mean, uh, who do you who do you include? I mean, do you kind of do you ask to have a kind of a big meeting where you have all the key players in there, or do you, you do you meet with the superintendent first? Uh, how, how would you work that out? The first thing I would do is start wandering into other people's meetings. Uh, when the principals are meeting with the superintendent, just wander in there. When the when the principals are meeting with their staff, wander in there. When you know at lunch, when all the teachers are sitting around bickering, just wander in there. Find find where people are already meeting, and and just sit there. And, and that gives you uh, a chance to for them to get to know you and you to get to know them, and for you to start to understand a little better how things go. But also then then yeah, you you want to start with your your decision makers. Um, in a school environment, that would be the superintendent, assistant superintendent, uh, technology integration specialist, whatever your um, administrative team is. And, you know, again, this is assuming that you're the head guy. You're the technology administrator boss guy. Uh, answers right. only to the superintendent, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, you want to, um, at this point, they're your team, right? So the 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 administrative team is your team, and you, then you have a, a tech team, hopefully underneath you, a tech staff of some sort. In my case, it was a tech staff of one, and it's right. the person I'm talking to you right now. Um, <laughs> and we did have regular meetings, didn't we? You know, because it's it's yeah. important to 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 know what's going on. So, yeah, you first got to have to build that sort of thing and understand. You know, you got to build the concept of a team and get everybody on board. You know, again, your job is to cast the vision, but also they've got to be on board with your vision. They can't be fighting you. So, uh, well, um, you know, talking about that, uh, so go into, uh, you know, what are some of the things that you discuss with those people? You've identified kind of who you need to talk to. Uh, you, you know, you, you've been around long enough that you kind of got an idea who the key players are. Uh, what kind of things do you cover with them? Well, the, the first thing I would want to find out is really sort of three things. Um, what does everybody agree works? What is everybody happy with? That's probably going to be a very small list. Uh, what does everybody agree doesn't work? And that will probably be a smaller list. And then here's the hard part. Find out where everybody disagrees, where some people think it's a good way to do it and other people think it's a bad way. And, and a, a, just create a list. Uh, purchasing. Checkbox. Does this work? You know, do people think it works? Who thinks it works? Administration thinks it works. Teachers don't think it works. You know, right. um, um, replacement cycle of hardware. Who thinks it works? Who, who doesn't think it works? Uh, staff training. Uh, and, and so just create yourself a rubric there, rubric, that's a good teacher word, uh, of, of <laughs> all the different facets of your, of the job and of, uh, you know, in the time, the months that you, in weeks that you've been, uh, uh, observing, uh, make yourself a list there and find out what everybody thinks works and, and get them to agree on it. So, you know, like I said, you're inviting yourself to meetings, um, and you're making notes, but then you get them all together and you have them all agree or disagree on things and so then they start to understand where other people are at the same time so once you've once you've figured that out so you can take the things that everybody agrees works and you're going to leave them alone even if you disagree with it you're going to leave those alone for now right then you're going to take the things that everybody agrees doesn't work and you're going to come up with a plan to solve those so you get yourself an easy win right there at the front that's the thing everybody agrees with so you get that and then you start working on those mixed emotions and see if we can get some people to agree and find solutions that everybody's happy with. And that can take a decade. 
<laughs> right, right. Well, and that's what we're talking about as far as laying down, uh, you know, the groundwork from day one. I mean, uh, certainly what you have going on uh, at your school district didn't happen overnight. And, it, you know, it took a lot of upfront work to, to get there. Right. Um, so, okay, so you've, you've done this, and uh, uh, I'm, uh, I'm kind of assuming that at, at some point early on, uh, you've got to know kind of where you are budget-wise. So hopefully you've established that you have your own budget. Right. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know. Or you've, uh, you've I, come up with a way to work within the existing system while you're trying to change the system. Right, right. But either way, I guess we say we will call it identifying your budget capabilities. So uh, it, tell us, you know, how do you go about that? Well, um, you got first, you got to look at what you have. What's there? Um, is it is it being utilized properly? Uh, is it wasteful? Is it is it not enough? Uh, and then from that, you can see what I did when I where I started where I work now. And again, that was 15 years ago. So a lot of things are different. But I sat down one day in my office. Um, uh, actually, it was like four days, and and poured out a five-year plan. And it wasn't a detailed plan. It was like five, you know, in year one, I would like to see these things happen. In year two, I would like to see these things happen. In year three, I'd like to see these things happen. You get that out, you um, write it out, and um, you make it clear and intelligible, and then you present that to the stakeholders. The, the school board is what I did. I, I, I requested that uh, I have some time on the docket with the school board. I laid out my five-year plan and said some of these things look entirely unobtainable now, but this is the direction that I want to be moving in. Um, but also you've got to look around. You've got to look at uh, uh, in a situation like what David, uh, who asked the question, said, the first thing I would do is look at what dead weight you can cut, what things can right. be can be replaced or supplemented or supplanted that nobody would notice. Are you paying $30,000 a year for a website that nobody likes anyway? You know, get rid of that. Get a Drupal or a Jumalian that still nobody's going to like, but it doesn't cost you anything. Right. <laughs> you know? So at that point, you're not necessarily trying to make an improvement. You're just making a substitution. Take one bad thing and replace it for another bad thing if you have to, but take it and replace it with a free bad thing or a less expensive one. Um, right, and I guess the same could be said for a lot of uh, uh, infrastructure type stuff like web filtering and things like that that right. people are paying a lot of money for. Yeah, try to make the invisible changes first, uh, and don't don't you know don't try to make yourself a hero overnight. Um, and then uh, I, I have to imagine, especially during these times, and it, it seems like it's pretty much uh, across the nation uh, that school districts are are financially. Uh, in a bad spot, worse so than uh, probably a long time. Uh, so when you free up that money, uh, how do you keep it? Because that's the first thing I could think of is a superintendent sitting there drooling going, ah, I can add that back into my budget. Um, document, 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 document. <laughs> Write everything down um, and make sure everybody understands the the reasons you're doing and what you're doing and and the needs that that's why it's important to have everybody on board with the needs assessment so that you can say, look, all right, I've just saved you, saved you $30,000, but wait, 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 before you go buy new uniforms for the basketball team, we all agreed we needed this. So you right. get those, those, uh, agreed set of needs first and you can swap those things around. Um, but yeah, uh, grants are, they're, they're drying up. There's not a lot out there, but there are still some private and public grants out there. So you can start, the, the ball rolling on trying to get some of those in to loosen up some funding that way. 
Um, and you know, if, if your school isn't taking full advantage of the, the things available to them, like, you know, with E-Rate and things like that, you can kind of get those things going. A lot of schools are, are not uh, taking advantage of everything they could. So you start looking for things like that. Uh, in the, in the beginning, you're probably not going to shake the money tree and have hundred dollar bills fall out. So you've got to find ways to, to spend the same amount of money and get better results. All right. Um, now, uh, Mark, you have in here listed, is there any standardization? What, what did you mean by that? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a big issue with, uh, a lot of schools. And, and when we had, uh, Chuck Jolly on from, uh, Mississippi, I think it was right. Uh, I always want to call it, say Missouri, but, uh, he, <laughs> he, he said that that was the, you know, the situation that, that they had to deal with, uh, for a while there is that everybody, um, the principals made their own decision. The campuses made their own decisions. Uh, and that, that can become a real nightmare really early on. And, and often that's how you end up in that situation where you're spending a whole lot of money for nothing because you don't necessarily have that buying power. Like the way, the way he was talking about, the way they've got it now, you know, right. they're ordering three or four semi truckloads every summer of computers and you can get a pretty good deal on that. So you want to standardize your purchasing. And, and the way I would do it is, and this is, you know, once you've found out what your your financing model is, what your budget or whatever is, you you go in and, and you you get the 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 boss to let you write a fiat that says no tech purchases are made without me, and that you know you you got to do that, and and that may take a while to get through, and certainly take a long time to get people happy with, but that's the that's the way you've got to you've got to standardize not necessarily the purchasing but the decision making process. Right. I know that can be a challenge because you oftentimes have uh, uh, principals, uh, campus principals that have their own campus budget and they like to just run wild with that kind of stuff. Uh, David, that was another uh, show idea that he threw out there that I don't think is probably a big enough topic to actually be a show, but it was talking about that. Uh, how do you get a hold of that? And that's a tough one. I mean, you really have to uh, play the politics uh, when it comes to that because you certainly don't want to uh, tick anybody off, but you also can't have principals out there just going out and unloading their campus budget on technology. Uh, I know at the district I'm at, uh, if if somebody does that, it is an it's unsupported. Right. It's unsupported by us. So they have a mandate that any technology purchases go through us. Now they can give us the budget line items to charge. Uh, you know, so if they want to purchase something out of campus funds, that's fine. But we're going to, the technology department's going to have a hand in, uh, in that purchase, making sure that, uh, it's something that integrates with our systems, blah, 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 things that we can support. Um, or at least reasonably support. Uh, and I know that's, that's a mandate at my district. I mean, if you, if you buy it without, uh, our prior knowledge, then it's unsupported. So if it breaks, it blue screens, it doesn't do what you think it should do. Don't call us. Yeah. And that's, that's a one, one point where I am perfectly happy for the democratic process to break down. And at that point I become a benevolent dictator. Um, if you want to buy something, you have to bring it through me or through my team because that's the only way that you can can really do things in you know the the tightwad fashion is you you've got to have right. one person um to take the blame one person to fail you know it it it, it takes a lot of load off of them too and uh, you know as nightstar in the chat room says you got to work hard at getting them to trust you trust is a big deal and you don't have any you just walked in the door you don't have any right. trust 
So um, that's what that first few months is about. You've got to build your trust and um, you've got to um, let people know that you really do know what you're doing. And sometimes right. that's difficult. And, and sometimes you've got to convince yourself that you really know what you're doing. But uh, yeah, so the... The, uh, the, the first thing, you know, is, is you got to figure out who makes, makes the purchasing decisions and is there any standardization and, and you got to fix that situation before you can do anything else. And then, uh, you know, as I, as uh, I said already, you've got to have a plan. So you need to have your own stuff together first before you have any conversations with anybody else. Yeah. So, uh, and there you, uh, you touched perfectly on, uh, kind of the two topics we're really focusing in on, uh, tonight, uh, budget and technology plan. And I'm curious, like how that process works. Cause I, I've never had to do that, but, um, I mean, does one come before the other? Do you, you, do you focus in on, okay, finding out where my budget lies first? It seems to me to make sense that you can't really worry about a technology plan until you know what kind of money you have. Um, is that right? Or do you, is it a kind of a, uh, a process that you work on at the same time, sort of back and forth? How does that work? No, it's totally the other way around. You can't have a budget until you have a plan. You have to, you have to have a plan before you know how you can spend your money and you should never, ever, ever hear, hear me say this, never let budget decide what you're going to do. You decide what you're going to do and then make the budget work for it. If you let budget decide what you're going to do, that's how you end up uh, spending more money than you need to because you have the money. That's also where right. you end up not doing things because you don't have the money. Um, money is, is the tool that drives the plan. And so you have to have the plan first. Just like an architect draws everything up on paper before he ever hands it over to a carpenter who picks up his hammer. You can't go out there and start hammering until you have a plan. So you make your technology plan, you make your, your uh, training plans even, get those guys in it, get your uh, instructional technology people in. And, 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 you know, if it's a small enough school, it, that may be your team too. That may be you. But you get everybody on board and you get the ship sailing in the right direction and then you figure out how to pay for it. Okay. Yeah. And that, I mean, that makes sense because, uh, I guess it goes back to, uh, you know, philosophy and everything else. But, uh, if you can really get everybody to buy in on the same philosophy, then it's going to be a lot easier sell when you say, okay, now this is what we need to actually accomplish that. Right. Now, uh, talking about technology plans and accomplishing that, uh, what time frames do you look at? Well, like I said earlier, I, I started with a five-year overall plan with one-year increments, and I think that's the way you do it. You say, in five years, I want to be here, and then you back back up from that. Okay, so to get here in five years, I have to have had this done in year four. I have to have had this done in year three. I have to have had this done in year two, and then go back and, and uh, fill that in. I would say uh, quarterly. I would have you know four benchmarks per year of what you want to see happen. And so, okay. so start with five years. And then after the end of the first year, you go another year out. So now you're six years from your original plan, but you're always at a five-year rolling window. So when, okay. you know, um, and, and now, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry for you. Um, that's, that's something that you're bound to actually submit, isn't it? Well, any, in the state of Texas, uh, you are required to have a technology plan, uh, in order to file for E-rate funding. But so, yeah, generally speaking, you have to have a five, a three year plan is the way in Texas is required. Most states require something like that, but that plan is not the real plan. Um, that is, okay. the, 
that is the uh, plan that gets the feds off your back, but it's not the plan that actually you put into place. I, I know that sounds uh, kind of ridiculous, but the, I'm just speaking honestly. Uh, that's just the way well, it well, is. That, no, that's uh, that's actually very interesting. So how uh, how are they different? I mean, do you you? I would assume that if you're if you're uh, submitting that to the Fed, so to speak, to qualify for funding or whatever else, uh, that you're probably going to be a little more ambiguous about that, right? Exactly. Everything is very vague, and it's like uh, in the next biennium, we intend to increase <laughs> student test scores by. Um, ensuring adequate access to techno technological tools and ensuring increased access to training for our staff. That doesn't mean anything, but right. that's what you say. So it, it, that's why I say you don't go by that because that plan is ridiculous. Then you have the real plan. It's like, okay, here's what we're really going to do. But if you actually, and I tried it once, I submitted my real plan to the, to the feds and they were like, Here's 17 points here that, according to our rubric, you didn't <laughs> didn't fill in. So this plan is invalidated, and they kicked it back. So okay. then I went and I did what probably every tech director has ever done. I went to another school and I totally copied their plan and changed the names and submitted that. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, that's a great bit of advice though, right? I mean, yeah. don't try to recreate the wheel. Gosh, you could probably spend uh, weeks sitting there at your desk trying to try to do that, but just call the school, call the district next, next door to you and right. get theirs. And, and in Texas, we're required to have that plan on the website. So, uh, you know, any school in Texas has it, they're required to, you can go to their website okay. and you can find it and you'll see that they all look like a template that was created by TEA back in like 1994 and and we all just sort of put in names and in boxes and change numbers around uh, but that's the official quote-unquote plan that that you're following but then you have to have your real plan that's actually going to achieve some uh some work so like for example at, at the the thing that's on at my school right now the thing that's on the plan for this summer uh is i have to upgrade some uh, network infrastructure some switches in a particular wing of a particular campus because it's the oldest uh, thing that was built and it's it's substandard. That's important to my plan and to those people who in are in that part of the wing. But you know, the US government is going to look at that and say that's meaningless. That's a pointless thing. Why would you even have that there? So, right. you know, that's 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 why there's the big difference between the the official plan and the actual plan. Okay, so let's uh, let's get back to the actual plan then. Uh, uh, you know, let's talk about uh, you know how do you get a grip on where you're where you stand and uh, what you what you're going to put into that document. Uh, do you survey the staff? Where do you start? Um, you definitely have to survey the staff and the surroundings, but you don't. How can I say this? You don't necessarily listen to what they say. You watch what they do. So you can have these all hands meetings and you can have agreement and get things on paper and you can, um, you can well, find out what uh, people. Think. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I've seen a lot of districts that, uh, are struggle with, they're trying to put together this, uh, uh, questionnaire or whatever that they're going to disseminate out to their staff. And a lot of them are doing that through Google docs now, but, uh, talking about, you know, uh, their technological needs and are they happy with uh, what they have now and things like that. But, uh, uh, do you put a lot of value in something like that? Those are fine for what they are, but people lie. And they're not lying to you, they're lying to themselves. Because when you give them that survey, 
that says, what is your current performance in the classroom? They're going to say, well, I'm a good teacher. I've been doing this for 15 years. I'm doing everything right. I'm going to give myself five stars there. Or you, it's the other way around. You get the teacher who is actually really bright, um, but is but thinks they're not. And so they rate themselves at a zero when really they're one of your smartest, uh, most tech-savvy teachers, and they just don't want to admit it. So uh, while those things are can be a valuable tool, I think the better tool is to walk around and see, um, is that whiteboard does it that interactive whiteboard that was four thousand dollars? Does it have an inch thick layer of dust on it? Um, right. Know, how many how many projector bulbs has this teacher burned through in the last year? You know, if she's using that stuff, it's going to be it, it's going to be up there. If you put the projector in in nineteen seventy four and she's never done anything, <laughs> you're going to know that. So I, while I think instruments and and uh, paperwork can have its place. I really think it's it's more about observation. And you know, I'm sort of a scientist at heart. The, the you know, the scientific me- method empiricism. You've got to watch what's going on and you got to talk to the students. That that was one of my biggest things was I didn't talk to the teachers. I talked to the students and I asked them, "Hey, what who's your favorite teacher?" Okay? What does your favorite teacher do that makes them your favorite teacher? And and I know that seems a little um, unusual. You you have you know you might be this top level you know hundred grand a year or more administrator walking down the halls talking to middle school students. But I think that's important because remember these are your customers. The teachers are not your customers. The superintendent are, are not your customers. The the state and the federal government are not your customers. The students are your customers. So you got to figure out where they live and what they see the deficiencies are and and what they would like to see more of. Okay, so uh, so we kind of have the the people side of it of it covered. Uh, do you? I, I'm thinking that you you obviously at some point need to do some sort of a survey of just what do I have? What you know, sure. uh, network infrastructure, uh, all the way down to uh, anything essentially that has electronics uh, electrons running through it, right? Exactly. Right. You gotta you've gotta assess what you've got and and assess the quality of it and the age of it and and the the u- utility of it is it still useful and that's where um yeah i go back to what i said earlier document 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 write everything down uh, uh as as insignificant as it might be and so um now depending on the size of your environment that may not be something you can do or that your team can do so then you're going to have to depend on other people and so yeah you can do a survey in that thing but you have to you have to be very careful about how you uh write things you have to make it so that it seems very uh, sort of matter of fact, just very census like. At this point, you're not assessing uh, how it uh, how effective it is. You're not assessing whether the per- teacher is a good teacher based on their tech use. You just want to find out what they've got and how often they use it, and and then you can go from there. Well, and even uh, down to uh, finding out what kind of things they have squirreled away in right. cabinets and. <laughs> Uh, which can be very telling. I mean, I remember when we uh, moved into the new high school out there where you're at, and uh, I made a final sweep after everybody had moved everything. I made a final sweep through uh, the building and found all this technology squirreled away that people just left behind. Uh, but it, other than looking new, you know, after you wipe the dust off of it, it had really never been used. It had been purchased five years ago or whatever, and it sat in a cabinet the whole time. Right. Somebody so, had to have it. And they had to have it, and they had to protect it. They had to put it away where it was safe, so it would be protected. But they didn't bother to use it. 
Um, and, you know, I think that the dented and dean technology is often the best ones because that means it's been used. Right, right. Um, okay, so uh, uh, just a, we're kind of coming towards the end here, but uh, I'm curious, do you see uh, with this process that school districts are, are generally hands-on? Are they, are they hawking over you? Do, do, uh, and you, of course, know uh, a lot of people, so I'm not just talking about you, but you know a lot of people in your position at other districts. Uh, is, it, is it typical for a school district to kind of hawk over that technology director person, or do they generally go hands-off? It can go either way, and it really depends on the environment. Uh, some, some people view the the technology guy as just the the digital janitor and they don't pay him any more mind than they pay the janitor who's taking out their their trash um and i i think that's sad in fact i think we need to pay more attention to the janitors who are taking out our trash uh but um in some schools you you're santa claus you're the tech version of santa claus and so everybody comes to you immediately with with their want list and their list of things they need. So it, it really that's that goes back to that beginning of establishing yourself and finding out what uh, um, what the situation, what the environment is like, and working within it. Um, and it's it's very important very early on that you um, make yourself known as being fair. You don't establish any favorites. You don't uh, show any uh, proclivities toward one discipline or another you know i like sciences but i but i don't think english teachers need tech you know you um even if you actually believe those things you've got to work really hard to not show anybody that you believe those things so uh, that that will change the environment will change based on you and you will change based on the environment yeah, and that's interesting because when you say that that makes me think of the uh, the tech nazi so i mean you want to make sure that you're uh, you know, you've got a clean slate. You you want to make sure you're not the tech Nazi. And so often, uh, the the techs sort of seem to think that they uh, have the right to basically affect the educational process. Absolutely, and and make policy or affect policy uh, with regards to that. But it's really something that you should stay away from as much as possible, right? Yeah, one of my favorite. Uh aphorisms I came up with a long time ago is that the technology um, staff, be it the help desk or the administrator, are not the masters, they are the servants. And too many times, the tech guy considers himself the master. I can't count the number of networks I've logged into where the administrator password was God. Literally. <laughs> wow. Because that's, you know, that's, a, that's one of like the top five administrative passwords. Uh, because you get these guys who um, denigrate the user. The word user is an insult. I've actually seen that used between two texts. You're such a user. Um, but the, the right. reality is they are, you are their servants. They are your masters. And once you understand that concept, and you've got to get that early on, and you've got to show people that early on. You've got to walk in the door with your hat in your hand and say, I am here to serve you. I am here to meet your needs. That is the reason I have a paycheck. I am not here to manage you. I'm not here to to um, oversee you. As Nightstar in the chat room says, it's not my network. These are not my computers. This is your stuff. And right. I am the servant of you. So if you have a problem with that mindset, you probably don't need to be in this business, quite frankly. Um, and you are probably the reason that so many people hate tax. 
So you got to you got to clean your own house first. But also then you've got to you've got to make sure they understand from day 1 that you're there to serve them. And once you get that established, um, they tend to open up a lot more. Of course, some of them then try to steamroll you because that's what you do to servants. <laughs> so you've got to you've also got to be a servant who's willing to to stand his ground at the same time. So that that all goes into that finding the uh, the temperament of the environment. I don't remember the question you asked me, but I just got on a tirade there. No, no. I mean, that's good. I mean, it really went to my uh, my final point anyway, which was just kind of identifying, uh, I guess, that sort of uh, natural war, right? It's like cats and dogs, sort of, when you talk about the techs and, and teaching, the technology side, the teaching side. There's there's some things that just naturally kind of put us at odds, and you have to be very aware of that and, and work to minimize that as much as possible. Yeah, there's a natural uh, antagonism there because no, neither person understands the other. You know, and, right. and that's, you know, I'm not a teacher. I'm a tech. I don't know how to teach. I don't know you know, how to, to hand, handle all the, the requirements of being in a classroom. I could do the crowd control, right? And I might be able to teach one lesson, but I don't know how to be a teacher. You don't know how to be a tech. You may be pretty handy with computers, quote unquote, but you're not a tech. And so it, the, that antagonism arises because we often speak two different languages. Um, right. And I think that's what I was talking about earlier, spending time out of your office and in the classroom is helpful, seeing what goes on um, and, and also helping them see a little bit of you at the same time. So that, that antagonism is always going to be there, but it doesn't have to turn into a war. It can be a healthy sort of um, rivalry. And, and that's, I think, the way to do it. Yeah, you know, that's, I'll jump in and just say that's the number one way I've, I've found to combat that sort of adversity there, uh, that natural adversity is FaceTime. I mean, you just, you can accomplish so much more in establishing a relationship with somebody if you just get some face-to-face -face time with them. Um, it's certainly uh, easier to do as a tech because, uh, you know, my job's always uh, out bopping around anyways or, or a great deal of the time. But, you know, a lot of times I like to spend time out there even when, you know, on things that I could have done remotely uh, just because I think it's that important. Uh, when, you're, when your educational staff gets to know you as a person, uh, then that starts to change significantly. Uh, and it, it helps you across the board, regardless of whether you're, uh, you know, a technology administrator or all the way down to the, uh, the bottom rung of that, uh, getting that FaceTime with people is going to make a huge difference because they're going to be a heck of a lot more forgiving for one. Yes, absolutely. If they think you're a person, that changes everything. Once you understand that there's actually a real person there, um, that, that disarms a lot of that sort of stuff. And, you know, on the other end as well. Well, and if people, I think that there's a stereotype for techs, right? Uh, is, is that, uh, that kind of tech Nazi, right? Right. And that's what people usually, I think educators, if they're going to assume anything about you, if they don't know you, it's going to be that you're a tech Nazi type of guy. Right. And, you know, being in this, the seat of the uh, teacher, anytime they call you, if you're a tech support or you're the administrator, they already feel stupid the moment they pick up the phone because they have reached a situation they can't resolve. So they feel stupid. 
So you got to do everything in your power to not make them feel more stupid. Go Google Nick, your company's computer guy, and don't do anything like him. Right. <laughs> Move. Right. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I guess that's going to wrap it up for uh, for this first one. Mark, is there anything that I've missed? No, I, I think that's a good start. That's the first um, few months in. And, uh, and, you know, and then we'll start uh, with the next episode of talking about some of those changes and, and actually enacting them. But yeah, I think this was a, a good uh, foundation. Good questions. Yeah, well, thank you. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely, uh, it, you know, if you're listening to this, uh, starting with version or uh, episode two of this series, uh, we'll start actually getting down to uh, nuts and bolts and, uh, you know, what sorts of changes do you look to uh, enact first. So, uh, look for that in the, uh, the next one, uh, probably about three weeks from now. Right. So we'll talk about tight waterfying the environment. Right. Um, and speaking of, uh, future shows, I wanted to say, uh, next week is a listener spotlight. And then the week after that, I'm really excited because you managed to accomplish something that I failed to do in what, about a year and a half. I think I've been trying to get somebody from here. Yeah. And the credit goes to a listener of the show. Uh, we've been trying to get uh, Fred from Big Blue Button on for a while, and we've sent a number of emails, whatever. And, and a listener uh, named Arno sent me uh, an email and said, uh, uh, "Hey, he's got a Twitter feed. Try that." And so I sent him a tweet, and within like three hours, he was like, "Sure, I'd love to be on the show." So wow! So it's just a matter of getting to the right person the right way, right? Finding the channel that he follows. Yeah, yeah. Because I have to tell you, as far as organizationally, they like absolutely protect whoever's working on that. I mean, there's just seemingly no way to get any individual contact information. Yeah. Well, so there you go. You just got a tweet at big blue button. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Um, so on to the tips of the week. All right, go ahead. And you have, you have one this week. Are you going to, you going to lead it off or uh, I can do that. Yeah. I've, and this is my last one. I've had two the last two weeks and, and now I'm done unless I come across something else. And this one is very esoteric. I think most people aren't going to care, but I thought it was cool. Um, and, and it would certainly be, I think, valuable in a corporate environment. If you're all about branding and, and you want to brand every little piece of your workstation, um, this little tool allows you to um, change the Windows 7 logon screen. So not the splash screen, not the desktop, but the actual screen that where you enter your username. You can put your own custom background. You can put your own custom logo. You can change the wording on it. You can put a, a, uh, you know, a little uh, acceptable use policy by logging in. You agree to accept these terms. And it's just a handy little tool that I'll link to in the show notes uh, called the Windows 7 uh, Log On Screen Tweaker. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very cool for what it is, but not, not many people are going to uh, care about it. But those who do, uh, it's going to be very valuable. Yeah, see, I, I love stuff like that. I love branding. I know when uh, when I was out there with you, Mark, we uh, we had custom desktops that had our uh, school logo uh, worked in. And uh, I even went so far as you can customize the splash screen on a projector. Yes. And uh, so I cut, I made a custom background working the school logo into that and, and went and applied that to all, the, all of the projectors. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I love stuff like that. Okay, and so what is our uh, te a teacher tip this week? 
Okay, the uh, teacher tip is socialba.com. So that's like social ba, social ba. <laughs> you know, when I first saw that, I immediately thought uh, sheep. <laughs> you're, you're just you're <laughs> yeah. a bunch of social social network sheep. Social ba. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe that's a that's a better way to say it, I guess. Uh, what socialba.com is. Uh, and it's really not just a, it's not really just the website. That's where you can go to, uh, to get this, but it's a browser plugin. And, uh, so, uh, it, it's, uh, compatible with all the major browsers. And, uh, once you install it and you've got to, uh, get in and, and log in and, uh, you, uh, uh, you, uh, you authorize it to access your different social networks. Uh, it works with Facebook, Twitter, Plurk, Tencent, Weibo. Some of these I don't even know. LinkedIn, uh, so all the all the major players out there, uh, you can link your accounts, and then what it's designed to do is actually work with Google Plus. So uh, if you're a big Google Plus user, which Google Plus is my uh, social network of choice, I just I just love it. I know a lot of people don't like it, but um, I, I love Google Plus. So from Google Plus, basically, it gives you the the capability of posting in Google Plus, and it will simultaneously sync that with all of those other networks. So, uh, in much the way that people use uh, things like TweetDeck or Hootsuite or or things like that, uh, which that's something that Hootsuite is lacking, is it doesn't have Google Plus integration. Um, so. Uh, yeah, you can basically use Google Plus as your as your primary dashboard. You you post something in Google Plus, set your circles, and it gives you the options to also simultaneously post to your other networks. Uh, How so, does it handle things that are too long? Because Google Plus, you can write a novel in an update, and Twitter yeah, you get 140 characters. I was playing around with it, and I didn't test that out. I have to think that I'm not sure if you're either going to a get a, a an error back or if it's going to uh, cut it off. Uh, so I, I didn't. That was one I didn't test. I was actually testing it tonight uh, because when I first saw this, I thought that it was kind of a two way thing. So I thought, well, if I post in Facebook, it'll also do it, um, which you do. Uh, you do see. Like if you log into Facebook and you have this installed, you're gonna see the little icon. It shows up kind of right next to your uh, to your face or whatever uh, at the top right. Uh, but it, that only lets you adjust the settings. So it uh, so it's not a two way thing. You you basically um, if you live in Google Plus, then it, it adds that functionality to Google Plus. Um, so. Yeah, I don't imagine that it will apply to a whole lot of people, but if you're a heavy Google Plus user, if you're like me and you prefer to stay in Google Plus and not uh, not so much on on the other ones cuz I mean, I don't actually log into Facebook like the website. I don't maybe once every two or three weeks. Right. Um, it's all about the I, client. Right, but I but I live in Google, you know. I, I've always got Gmail and documents and everything else and Unless Google you're Plus on your Mac. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mac does not like Google. Um, so yeah, if you're like me and you, you love Google plus, uh, check it out. Socialba.com. All right. That's a great one. So, uh, we told you earlier on that, uh, we in, encourage your feedback on this series. And of course, Sean said that you uh, could do that through the chat room which we encourage that you do that. But if you can't be here live for whatever reason, you can contact us at other places as well. And, um, one of the best places to do that is, of course, our own website at elementop.com. We have a, an active forum there. You can go in there. We have a, a, um, a contact us button if you want to send us an email, which is how the, uh, 
the uh, listener that started this whole thing did it as a as a it was an email, right? Or was it a forum post? I think it was an email. It was an email, right? Yes. So he used the contact us button, sent us an email, and and we're doing not only one show but a series of shows. So um, you can always do that in an offline uh, asynchronous sort of way. Uh, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook, or you can find us on Google+. We have an Element OP page there that you can search for. Uh, so those are all the different ways you can find us. Uh, and, of course, if you want, you can, if you're a telephone guy, you can call us at 559-IAM-OP and leave us a voicemail, and we will not only listen to it, but probably play it on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I, that's one I was kind of hoping that we would get across on this show is, uh, yeah, we do listen. <laughs> we, we, we have not outgrown our britches, so to speak. So uh, we, we listen to uh, all of your input, good and bad. Uh, fortunately, it's mostly good. <laughs> and, well, and we've uh, been doing this two years now. We ran out of ideas at like eight months in. So you guys have been keeping us afloat for the last year and a half. Right, right. Uh, Uber Geek says, is there a link? Uh, link for? Link to which? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of listening, right? So <laughs> so here we are. We're interacting uh, live with the chat room. And... Uh, All right. So we'll, we'll yeah. uh, ca- carry on that conversation in the chat room after we uh, end the show here. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, uh, this was another great show. There we go. I was just waiting for that. <laughs> you were, yes. I was slipping a little bit. Because every now and then, once we do a sh- uh, we'll, we'll do a show where Sean doesn't say great show, and we actually get comments back. Wait, yeah, was a, yeah. you didn't see that great show. <laughs> yes. You know, I love, you know, I do love that, though, because, uh, you know, everybody does this, right? They have things that they listen to regularly, a radio show uh, as they're driving to work or whatever. And there's certain aspects of it that be- kind of become the sort of uh, the sugar in your life, you know, that your day doesn't feel complete unless you've listened to that and they've said you know whatever the announcer you hear his voice and he he does his intro a certain way or whatever and everything the universe seems right when uh, <laughs> when that happens and so i am so glad that i could uh, provide a little bit of that for some people out there all right and after that uh, extended amount of patting himself on the back i'm gonna say <laughs> this is mark signing off and sean signing off <laughs>